Psalm 18 is probably my life script. I cried out to the Lord in my distress. You know, the enemy confronted me when I was at my weakest, but the Lord reached down from on high and rescued me because he delighted in me. And if you look at the progression of Psalm 18, you go from victim to victor because you you are no match for your enemy and he will confront you at the moment you're weakest. But when you cry out to God, your cry does reach his ears. And when he does that, you watch the progression in that Psalm. He rescues you. He sets you in a spacious place. He heals you, and then he trains you for battle. And at the end of the psalm, you're chasing your enemies down and putting them under your feet and making them sorry you ever messed with you. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith-inspired to tackle the messy and embrace the beautiful areas of life. We're going to meet you right where you're at, right when you need it, by helping you live a less stressed, more joy-filled life lived by bold faith and walking in obedience. You have a God-sized calling, but you don't have to choose between your sanity or juggling it all. We'll keep you one step ahead, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles and live a life faith-inspired. Because faith is not just a belief, it's a lifestyle. The presence of God is real because our God is real. He is ever present in our times of joy and in our times of sorrow. But what do you do when he seems distant? What do you do when you face a trial or an attack from the enemy that feels so deep you can barely breathe? Susie Larson is one of my heroes of faith. She has walked many trials and battled many attacks to know and understand the enemy's evil schemes. In her book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where is God When You Need Him the Most? Susie helps readers understand and experience God's trustworthiness and love, even when they feel far from Him. She states that our trials and triumphs are packed with opportunities that impact eternity, and that God knows how to extract lies from our belief systems while preserving our precious hearts. God was so very good to me to orchestrate this conversation with Susie as I was in the midst of an attack from the enemy. After our conversation, I walked away feeling like God loved me right where I was and supplied me with the tools of the mind and the heart that I needed to continue to walk step-by-step in His presence. So listen in as Susie and I break through the lies of the enemy and fully grasp what it means to have the presence of God closer than your next breath. Hey, Susie, welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast. Honored to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is such an honor for me. Really, this is such God's timing for me. You have been an incredible faith mentor for me. I actually finished your devotional prevail about a month ago, and that just spoke to my heart. I mean, it wrecked me in the best way possible. It met me where I needed it in the past year. And so I'm just so grateful to have you on today. Wow. Well, that's no small task. That was a long book. I mean, I wanted to quit in Leviticus. I was so tired, <laughs> but I was so grateful. I prevailed. I'm truly, I'm, I, when I was writing it, most books are 55,000 or maybe 60 words, you know, and once my body hit that word count, I mean, the book is 120,000 words. So once I hit that, I'm like, I'm so tired, but God really did just give me the breadcrumbs and the, you know, the steps to take. And when it was done, I'm, 
I was so happy. You know, that mm. it just goes to show you, Erica, that there's times where we think we need rest and God says, not yet. And uh, rest is good and it's a gift from God. But there are times he says, no, now you're going to prevail. Now you're going to persevere because there's a lesson for you on the other side. So I'm grateful that you got all the way through it, Genesis to Revelation. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, and it was amazing. It was a unique way to get through the Bible and understand mm-hmm. it differently. And yeah, it just, when I say God spoke, it was like there were times where I would think of something the night before, and the next morning it would be that verse. Mm-hmm. And so God really, really worked through it. So I'm so grateful that you did prevail and were obedient to Him because, man, it really helped me in times of need. So I appreciate that. Praise God. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but we're not talking about Prevail today. We are talking about your new book that is actually releasing today, and that is called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him The Most? So I'm excited to just really dive into that because this is an area where I need this conversation personally in my life right now, and I know so many of us lose sight of where God is in our battles and our trials, and so really excited to dive in with you today about this. Yeah, I love God's presence. I love the topic. I love God that He makes Himself known, that we have access to His presence. So I'm so grateful that He allowed me to write as best as I could about such an amazing topic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an amazing book. But before we dive in, I'd love for you to give just a glimpse of who Susie is. I mean, I can't imagine from my end that anyone wouldn't know who you are because everyone I know knows you and you've just had such an impact on my life. But for those who don't know who Susie Larson is, give us a glimpse of who you are. Hmm, wow. Um, been married to my dear husband since 1985, so 38 years. And uh, we have three grown sons, three daughters-in-law, three grandchildren. And um, all those three kids come from our youngest son. Our oldest son and his wife have been battling infertility for over six years. So it's been a super painful and heartbreaking journey for them because Jake, my oldest, was always the one when he was even in college, he volunteered in the church nursery because kids just, he's a kid magnet. So we thought by now, uh, they're 38 and 39, we thought they would have five kids. So this has been really quite a twist in the journey. We feel like we're on the cusp of a breakthrough for them and just doing some doctoring and things and we're trusting for and believing for a miracle. So yeah, love our kids so much. Um, I contracted Lyme disease when I was pregnant with our third son when I was on bed rest for six months unknowingly and am still impacted by that disease today. So it's a lot of twists and turns, but I mean, I'm more healed now than I've ever been. And on my good days when I sleep, I feel better than I have my whole adult life, but I still have my bad days and inflammatory surges and things like that. But it's like, you know, I remember a time asking God, you know, I said, it feels like I army crawl for inches. And he says, but what you gain in the natural in inches, you're gaining miles in the spiritual. And that's just been true. When I look back, that's just really true. I feel like I have a handle on the things of God, on his word, on the predictable ways of the enemy all through this battle. And, you know, the people who don't know my story, there's some backstory as a child raised in a large family in a denomination where I knew God was real. I mean, I really did sense his presence as a child, but the gospel was never presented. You know, I didn't know Jesus was accessible. I didn't know I needed a savior. And when I was about nine years old, I was sexually assaulted at the hands of some teenage boys in our neighborhood, pinned down and uh, was super confused about what happened. So I didn't tell anybody, but it changed everything. I mean, it opened a canyon of insecurity, started to have a lot of bad dreams about being chased. I've never felt safe anymore. 
And then when I was 10 years old, I was walking home from school and I was just about four feet tall. I was a small girl and uh, just walking by myself across the baseball field across from our high school. And I was jumped by some boys and beaten real badly. They were twice my size. I just remember hearing, get her. And they must—they were high on something. They were sitting in the dugout doing something. And uh, they ran after me, knocked me to the ground and punched me in the face and kicked me in the stomach and pulled fistfuls of hair. And that was so traumatic. I can't even tell you because they laughed wildly as they did it. And I screamed and cried. And then when they were done with me, they pushed off me and were laughing as they walked away. Do you believe we just did that? And uh, when I got up, I heard in my ear, I mean, not audibly, but I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And so even when I became a Christian as a young, you know, teenager in eighth grade, you know, I knew I needed saving. I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And that would take a long, long time for me to learn that. Because when the the deer tick got me, I literally was on bed rest for six months with our third pregnancy. One day up, you know, the doctor said, go ahead and see if you could do okay and get through a day without contractions. And I met my old college roommates for a walk in a small town of Stillwater for those who live in the local Minnesota area and was in bed by night again because I was contracting. And two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb. My arms started to go numb. My memory started to go. And I mean, in my late 20s, and all of a sudden, three months into bed rest, three months to go, and suddenly neurological fireworks are in my body. And, you know, I was in a season where it was a dry and weary land. I mean, I, my friends had their health and they had their wealth, and we were going broke because of my medical issues, because of high-risk pregnancies. And now to imagine these overlapping crises, I, I couldn't believe God was allowing it. But I was still young enough in my faith to not understand that he was up to something. And uh, so in the middle of that, once I delivered Jordan, our youngest, had three little kids, had used up all my friend favors, really, uh, in six months of bed rest, so that once we delivered Jordan, I was basically on the floor and they were crawling all over me and I, my health was going awry. I didn't have the heart to ask anybody for any more help, but I was terrified about what was going on in my body and really thought God maybe had lost my address. And there was a point... I don't know if it was like six months, seven months in, but I was talking to my sister on the phone and I was mixing my words up and my sentences weren't making sense. And uh, she said, hang up, I'm calling Kevin. So she called Kevin, he came home and he came in the door and he's like, what, what? And I was just, I felt like such a lemon, you know, such a, like he, he married such a broken person because I had my trauma brokenness. And then all of, I mean, we were young. We were, we had honeymoon baby. Our first baby was a honeymoon baby. So we were newly married you know, three little kids and now a disease that we didn't know it was going. I just couldn't believe it. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I, I I could see the fatigue. He was a young man, you know, and he was hanging in there with us. And I said, I'm so sorry. There's something wrong with me. You know, after all of this, we finally delivered a son and finally we're ready to back to normal life. And here I am. I'm so sorry. And he scooped me up in his arms and hauled me to the hospital and they did some tests and they pulled him aside and and said, we think it's MS or a brain tumor. And uh, so we had, our neighbors were watching our kids and he got me home and it was the darkest day of my life. It was the darkest day of my life. And uh, he tucked me into bed and kissed my forehead. And as he was about to walk out, I grabbed him and pulled him back and then weeping, I said, you have to divorce me. I'm going to go live with my mom and my dad. You have to let me go. I can't ask you to do this. I don't want our boys to have a mom who's sick, but marry someone who loves Jesus and who will play with these. I mean, I was weeping, weeping, but just 
ready to let him go. And and he got on his knees and put his finger up to my lips to shush me. And he says, you stop it. He says, you are my bride and you always will be. And if I have to kneel down to kiss you because you're in a wheelchair, then that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I encountered the love of God in that moment. You know, it was just because he wasn't speaking out of the emotion of the moment. He'd been caring for me for six months, you know, and being on bed rest, I felt like it just confronted all my insecurities because I already was insecure. You know, again, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And when you don't know you're loved, I often say you misuse your time, treasure, and talents to prove something that Jesus has already proven. So before I'm on bed rest, I'm serving in five capacities at church. I'm earning my way, you know, is what we do when we don't know our way. And I would submit to you, there's a lot of people in church hiding in committees, you know, <laughs> and being busy trying to earn their way, even though, you know, with their mouth, they say they're saved by grace. With their hearts, they're still trying to earn their way. So when I couldn't do that anymore, I couldn't perform, I, I was into everybody's debt. It confronted all of my fears and my insecurities. So in that place of months of Kevin serving in the ways that he had to pledge his love, not out of emotion, but he knew he'd already been doing it for six months. I don't know. I encountered something of God in that moment where I understood that it's not that we loved God. It's that he loved us. It's not how high we can jump. It's that he stooped down to make us great. And somewhere in there, through a miracle, about a year later, found out that a deer tick had got me that one day that I was up off of bed rest unknowingly, and I never saw a rash or bullseye or whatever. But through a miracle, found out I had contracted Lyme disease. And so then began the journey in the valley, numb head, numb face, numb arms, memory loss, fatigue, sharp shooting pains throughout my body. And the word seemed dead on the page. And I felt like I have not because everybody seemed to have health and wealth and I had neither. In the middle of that, a, a woman from our church called and said, I'm hearing the chatter. And I will just tell you, Erica, there was chatter. I knew people were gossiping about me. Nobody knew much about Lyme three decades ago, and it makes you feel and look like a hypochondriac. And I'm not. I'm a fighter. I want to feel well. I can think of a lot of better ways to get an attention than drum up a sickness, you know? I mean, I want to be well. That's a core thing for me. I'm a fitness person. So, But people were gossiping about me. But there were others who would bring us food and felt so sad, like they couldn't believe what we were walking through. So she said, I've heard the chatter. And she said, I brought your case before the throne and ask God, what are you doing with this family? And he showed me a platform that you're going to be speaking from someday. So you lean in and you learn everything you can because you're going to have a story to tell. And at that time, embarrassingly, I'll tell you, we had bill collectors calling because we had more medical debt than income. We paid everybody $5 a month, but that wasn't enough. And so with a numb face and dizzy, I had a vertigo spells that lasted three months and three little boys and the phone ringing we need more money than, you You know, I mean, it was hell. I hated it. And so and when she said that, it was like a truth bomb that surpassed my circumstances, went into my soul. And the Lord said, Susie, are you a believer just because you've secured your eternity? Or are you a believer because you actually believe the stuff you read in scripture? Like, when are you going to shift your weight onto the promises to see if they hold? Do you know that every time you turn your back on faith to behold fear, you dismantle your own faith? You have to turn your back on fear to behold faith. Why don't you try and see if the promises hold? And I was so young in the faith, but that was how I forged my faith. So anything that you read, you know, I've got 22, I think I've just finished my 22nd book. 
and then my radio show, you'll hear fighting language. You'll hear that because Psalm 18 is probably my life script. I cried out to the Lord in my distress. You know, the enemy confronted me when I was at my weakest, but the Lord reached down from on high and rescued me because he delighted in me. And if you look at the progression of Psalm 18, you go from victim to victor because you you are no match for your enemy and he will confront you at the moment you're weakest. But when you cry out to God, your cry does reach his ears. And when he does that, you watch the progression in that Psalm, he rescues you. He sets you in a spacious place, he heals you, and then he trains you for battle. And at the end of the psalm, you're chasing your enemies down and putting them under your feet and making them sorry you ever messed with you. That is where I stand today. I'm not symptom-free, but I'm not the person I was, and the battle's not been wasted. I don't think for a minute God gave me Lyme disease or my husband cancer, but enemy did, and God allowed it, but we're better for it. So we want to make every day count. And I think both of us being sick in our young years, me in my young late 20s, early 30s, and Kev with cancer in mid-30s, we just feel so convicted that we're going to face God someday. And we don't want to mess around. We want to wring every drop of life we can for the kingdom. And so we're super passionate, super focused, and super purposeful. Not perfect, but I'm just saying we're on mission and we're not apologizing for that. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that, Susie. Really, right before we jumped on this recording, I went to your Facebook page just to look a little bit to see like, okay, you know, where's Susie now with her life? And I watched your recent video that you were talking about your book, but there was one thing that you said in there and you had mentioned here that you use like the battle language. And I wrote it down. I literally replayed it like five times just so I could get it right because of the season that I'm in right now. And what you had said was, I am no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I will see a victory. My God is who he says he is. And those are all lyrics from worship songs, just so you know. And I was saying, you know, so those aren't my original words. But to say, when I worship, I'm putting my flag in the ground. You know, when I make a declaration, I'm engaging my heart and I'm going to engage my faith. I think that matters so much. Yeah. I think where I sit right now, Susie, where I'm battling with the struggle that I'm in. And I'd love to get into like trial versus attack because Mm -hmm. I do feel like I'm under attack right now. But when you are in that fear and you do have that faith, how do you actually live it out? Like, how do you live out that your faith does triumph over fear? You know, we have that cliche, like faith over fear. But when you are in a battle that feels like something you have never been in before and you don't know how to get out of it and it is scary and it is deep, like how do you actually get past and have that faith over fear? In your book, you talk about you were sitting there a lot of times just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And so you started to have this faith and then all of a sudden your mind or whatever it would be would come at you and just remind you with fear and then kind of like backpedal. And that's where I'm at right now. How do you actually get to the point where faith is triumphing over all of that? Yeah, that's such a good question. And one of the things I'd really hoped and wanted to accomplish in this book is to help people move from bracing for impact to anticipating God's goodness. And the devotional that's springing out of this that comes out in January, it's all about retraining our heart and our brain to do just that, where we move from bracing for impact to anticipating God's goodness. And I'm telling you, Erica, if the enemy's gotten away with anything, it's putting us in a place of locked elbows, bracing for impact. And he's wielded fear as such an 
incredible weapon and put us in that defensive position. And so one of the things, I'll just tell you where a place that I've been sitting is Psalm 106, where, you know, the psalmist is saying, you know, count me among your people. Let me see the prosperity. Let me partake in the blessings that you reserve for your children. But then he confesses the sins of his forefathers. And I want you to listen to this. It's from the Amplified Version, Psalm 106, verse 7. Our fathers in Egypt did not, they did not do three things. And I want you to hear this. They did not understand nor appreciate God's miracles. They did not remember the abundance of his mercies, nor did they imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And I just want you to think about this for a minute. This is what helps me so much when I get into fear, because, you know, we all fear different things. For me, when the neurological thing starts surging, there's just always that thing hanging over my head that something worse is waiting around the corner. Like this is going to turn a different way. All of a sudden, it's going to finally devour me. And everybody has their projected fears. And all you have to do is look at the accumulation of hardships you've walked through that are not resolved in the Father's love. And then that's fertile soil for the enemy. That's why we've got to do some of the work of grieving and of sorting through some of the past hardships, because when they are like an open loop in your spirit and they're not resolved in the light of the Father's love, it's fertile ground for the enemy to make a case against God and to make threats against you. Because what he wants to do is to take your fears, to go see what God allowed. Do you see what you've endured? And he wants to create a worst case scenario projected into a future that God is not in. And you know what? For the believer, no such future exists. No such moment. There is no future that God is not in. And he's a liar, the enemy, and that's his native tongue. So I want you to think about this again. The way that the Israelites lost their way I've studied this because I feel like we are in a time of exile as Christians. And I wanted to know what got them exiled. You know, why did they lose their way? And one of the first things they did is they stopped listening to God. You can only listen to one voice at a time. When you turn away and are listening to any other voice other than God, your heart hardens. It hardens towards God, and then you misinterpret your trials. You misinterpret the things that are coming at you. You forget who you are, and you forget who God is. So I'm going to look at this again. They did not understand or appreciate his miracles. The Israelites saw magnificent, earth-shaking miracles, but they did not seek to understand or appreciate those miracles. And for us, when we are in fear, I think that's step one, is to not only reach back to biblical miracles and pull them to the forefront to say, you are the same God. Those miracles are my miracles. Those testimonies are going to beget testimonies in my life. If you did it for them, you can do it for me. But then I would say, look back in your history, because there's evidence of his goodness. And so you pull those to the forefront. You remember and you appreciate I mean, try to imagine what that's like for the Father, how He miraculously delivered them, and they were so quick to grumble and complain. They had absolute air amnesia. And the next thing that they did is they did not remember the abundance of His mercies. When the disciples came running back to Jesus and said, the demons obey us, Lord, even the demons obey us. Because Jesus was so moved by faith, because if you watch him in the Gospels, the thing that stopped him in his tracks was unbelief or faith. He marveled at unbelief, and he marveled at great faith, right? So I thought when the disciples came back and said, the demons obey us, God would have a similar posture. But no, Jesus said, don't marvel that the demons obey you. Marvel that your name is written in the book of life. Like that's the most expensive miracle. And new mercies are coming to your door every single morning before you even have a chance to get up and blow it once. You have an ocean of grace that you're swimming in. You've got an abundance of mercies that he's made provision for because he is intent on getting you safely home. He's the one who's able to keep you from falling 
to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And if we're not continually in awe that we were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into his light, that morning by morning, new mercies I see because of his great love are not consumed. If we ever stop being in awe of that, we're turning the wrong way and we are target for the enemy. But you stay in awe of that, it inspires praise and God inhabits the praises of his people. And gratitude is a sure sign that you are walking in step with the Lord because we have so much to be grateful for. And then the third thing, they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their hearts. And that's really speaks to, again, what this book is about. And then the follow-up devotional is to really move our mindset. This is actually a recent thing for me. I feel like at my age, I should have had this a long time ago, but I had a major relapse eight years ago. It was so terrifying, so devastating. I actually had to go back to counseling to sort through the trauma of it. I was so hurt and so disappointed that God would allow it. And because of the nature of the surges that were happening, they were so much worse and so scary, very terrifying. And I'd be up all night with my heart beating out of my chest, numbing, shooting up my neck into my jaw that felt and looked like a stroke. And it was so hard. And so I, you know, I loved him, but I didn't trust him. I was just hurt. And so to imprint his loving kindness on my heart, I had a friend who said, Susie, only goodness and mercy are allowed to follow you as a believer. And if your default response when you think about God is anything different than goodness and mercy are chasing me, something in you needs to be healed and something in your thinking needs to be realigned. So I took that to heart and I started to pay attention. I mean, I'm a seasoned follower of Christ. I'm serious about God. Yet there was something in me constantly bracing for impact. And I did not interpret that at first as a mistrust of God. I just thought it was sort of the natural outcome of an unpredictable, terrible disease. But no, underneath it was, I, I did think the enemy could get to me anytime, right? And so when I start to address that repetitive mindset, I saw how much it weakened me. And when I started to retrain my brain, to look around and anticipate God's goodness, something in me healed. So I feel like as we that the earth has been traumatized in these last few years. And that's why I feel like the timing of understanding the character of God, because when you know his character and you know you're tethered to a God who loves you, who's meticulously involved, when you follow him, you're following the healer, not just the savior, but the healer too. You'll start to be at rest in his presence. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High God will find rest in the shadow. You'll learn to dwell with him and rest with him, and you'll be under his feathers, and you'll trust him to protect. And then you really start to know, you know what? What he allows, he redeems. I am not going to live in fear. I am going to live by faith. The enemy hates that. He's so terrified of your oneness with God, of you enjoying God's presence, of you believing the best about God. But if you don't resolve your past traumas and they're sort of open loops in your soul, then the enemy can get in there and accuse God and he can question you and suddenly you lose your peace and suddenly you're in fear. So I just think our oneness with him and his nearness is our good. That's so good. So good. And just that praising piece. Right before we came on, I was, God, just, there was a Holy Spirit just reminded me that I had written and recorded this episode, episode 47, which I don't know the math on that was probably a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. And I was working through some of the things that are in my course, my Stress to Joy Transformation course. And one of the questions was, who 
is someone who has a life that you would like one day or somebody that you respect. And I had written down, Susie, I'd written down you and I had written down Lisa Turkhurst. Wow. But my heart right away after I wrote that said, but without the emotional and physical health issues. And God just checked me Mm. and said, you can't have that life without it. And so um, it just spoke so much to my soul. And so I I wrote out that kind of that testimony of sorts of that experience that I had and put it into um, this episode, episode 47. And I listened to it this morning because the Holy Spirit brought it to mind. And with the battle that I'm going through right now, this attack, I listened to it and I just started bawling like a blubbering baby and text my best friend and sent her the episode. And I was like, God is meeting me right here. He's meeting me right here in this suffering that I have. He knew the timing that I would speak to Susie today in my suffering on a topic that he knew I was going to battle. He loves me that much. Amen, honey. That Amen. wrecks me. Yeah. that His love does wreck us. And it's like when you can be receptive to how this isn't happenstance, it's it's divinely orchestrated by a God who's intent on blessing you and healing you and redeeming you, uh, and you let that in, that makes you feel safe in His presence. You know, I think yeah. that's just precious. Yeah. And it just, the battles aren't always easy and they're not short. And this is one that I feel like, you know, I don't want to let go of it yet because I know God's working on me through this. And so I don't want to miss what he has for me. But this was his beautiful hug that I needed because sometimes, you know, I was talking to my friend, like, it's hard sometimes with the presence of God because I want that tangible hug. I literally want him to come down and embrace me. I want him to hug me like my child hugs me. I want him to hug me like my husband hugs me. And you don't always get that. Right. But today he hugged me. Mm-hmm. You know, he reminded me that he loves me. And like, those are the things that we need to hold on to. Yeah. Those are the things that, you know, we need to look for his presence in all different areas of life and um, just know that he's so good when we're in mm-hmm. these trials and these battles. And you know, he, you know, the training time that he's so good to give us the sensation of his presence. There's nothing like it. Right. And that's why I wrote in the book. Sometimes we chase the sensational and miss the supernatural because when you have an event or an encounter, we're made for him. We're made for eternity. He said eternity in our hearts. So suddenly we come alive, right? And so of course, we're going to do whatever we can to encounter that again, but we are also living behind enemy lines. And there are times, it's not like he withdraws, but it's like in a test when you're in a class and your teacher has got silence and he's walking around because it's time for you to take the test. He doesn't tempt us, but he does test because he wants us to see what's in us because the better we have clarity about our soul and what we know and maybe what we've forgotten, the more we'll be able to understand the things we're walking through. So I think it's super important to discern. And I, you and I talked about this, I think, before the show, but uh, the difference between an attack and a test, sometimes they come at the same time, sometimes they don't. But, you know, a test really is, it's like, it's not comfortable. It's stretching. You'd rather feel the warm hug, but instead you're kind of put in a situation where you have to rely on what you've known, rely on what you've heard, remember the lessons you've already learned and live up to what you know, those kinds of things where you engage your faith apart from feelings. But when you're in a trial, when you're in an attack, oftentimes it comes with a physical affliction from anything from a sickness, a disease to eating gluten 
and having it wreck your gut, you know, but something that, you know, you do and all of a sudden it throws you completely off and then there's this domino effect and almost without fail, it's like the enemy will put someone in your path who has what you long for and they possess it so easily that they're absolutely clueless about it while you're fighting, they're living it in their best life. And so there's just a number of these things that tend to happen because he's building a case against God and he's building a case against you. And I think it's just when we can have the discernment to go, this is an attack, this is a test. I'm accountable to God. I have the authority to shut the enemy down. I think that's how he trains our hands for battle. That's how we learn to stand in battle, to go no to you, enemy, yes to you, God, have your way. I think one thing that has confused me, Susie, and I love your insight on this, is that in my battle, it actually has been an emotional battle. I'm battling fear, like an intense fear I've never felt before on a specific subject that I know God wants freedom for me, but the enemy is using it to literally just debilitate me. I mean, just keep me in my place, which makes sense because I was starting to feel a little like the the wheels were turning finally on Faith and Gather and the Faith Inspired podcast. It's been three years. Like I felt like, you know, I'm finally hitting my stride. And so of course he doesn't want that. He doesn't want me to bring Jesus mm-hmm. to people and, you know, um, and, and, have their lives be inspired by faith in every area of their life. But I think what's confused me with this now that I realize my therapist has made me realize that it's an attack and not a trial. At first, I was like, Lord, because he speaks to me often and I do hear him. And so he'll, um, repetition is often like the way God communicates with me. And so I kept hearing these things repeatedly and seeing these things repeatedly. And so taking them at face value of like, okay, God, this is from you. This is, this is how we normally communicate. So this has to be from you. But then I'm hearing like, but you don't, you don't give me this fear. You would never give me this fear. You don't have that spirit of fear. So I'm so confused because Satan now I know is putting good Christian people in my place and experiences that weren't bad, but are for bad. And so I'd love your insight on if you've ever battled anything like that, because I was and still am in this confused state of understanding of like, wow, like we have authority in God, absolutely. And God has authority, but I didn't understand how much Satan could manipulate those Mm -hmm. situations. And so I would just love for you to speak to that if you have any experience or any ways to battle that. You've got people that are crossing your path that are enduring the very things that you fear. Is that what you're saying? What I'm hearing when these people are coming across in my path, I'll just say it, and it's fearful of me to say it, but the, the topic of death really um, gets me. It stirs me. And my dog passed away three months ago, and that sounds ridiculous, my dog, but I've been so lucky to not have anybody pass away that was super close to me at that time. Um, I've had people pass, but just not that close connection. And he actually passed away in our home. I witnessed it. I had to you know, help him pass for about 30 to 45 minutes, and like death is ugly. It is an ugly, ugly thing. And that created trauma for me. And it's tough to grieve as a mom because you're doing so many things and a business owner. And so you're just not able to grieve. And ever since then, you know, I believe God has been putting messages about his goodness in death and trying to break me free and have freedom. But then Satan's also using them. And so these, I mean, up on seriously, Susie, like I would have like five things a day coming at me of the message of death and like give me an example um 
Okay, so right after Brutus had died, I went to a conference at Louis Giglio's church, and we stayed for that Sunday, and the message was on life or death and how we all have a choice. And like, I know God was speaking to me, and that was a beautiful message of like, okay, God met me right there. Um, but the recent ones that have been really stopping me in my track. So, okay, for example, and I hate to bring you into this, Susie, but there was an episode that you did you've been talking about death recently or you you had been and having a Tuesday episode on it. And so I listened to the one on estate planning. And two days later, because I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to listen to that, two days later, my mom came to watch our child and just randomly, she pulled my hand aside and sat me on the couch and said, hey, I really think that we need to start estate planning for me. And I really want you and your sister to like come with me. And this is after like multiple things of death. And I just like broke down and said, why did you feel like you had to tell me this? Because in my head, I've been telling myself that God's telling me that I'm dying, Mm. like that it's my time I'm dying. And which scares me because I have two children and I want to live like this is my, I want to live, you know, like, okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. But then, but there was also two nights ago, literally we dropped my mom off And my husband went past the building where we had done our state planning before and said, isn't that that building where we met with that lady? And I said, yeah. And then we drove two minutes down the road. And then my son Benton goes, hey, mom, I saw that place where people go to heaven. And I was like, oh, okay. And then it was the cemetery. I'm like, oh, you mean the cemetery? Then we were just about to leave my brother-in-law's house and the book leaning on its side that my eye caught said estate planning 101. And I just like had this intense fear, like debilitating Susie debilitating fear come over me. And I'm like, I know that's not from God. Like he brings peace. And so that's where I'm at right now, this battle. And I had some breakthrough session yesterday with someone at church, but it's, I know God wants to bring the freedom in it and not be afraid, but then Satan's attacking me as well. And so there's that confusion. And I think we, we sometimes get those mixed messages. And so I guess that's where my question came from. We're like, good people are bringing these messages, but it's instilling fear. And is God trying to tell me one thing and he's trying to say the, Satan's trying to say the other. And I'm just left here in this intense battle. Okay. So uh, I had a similar situation when I was in college where things kept coming up around death and that was causing terror and trauma in me. But there were moments where I knew, I knew God was speaking but the narrative was turning into this thing that was causing terror. And I went to a secular university. I had a professor that was godly, godly woman. And so I went and talked with her. And she said, oh, this is so common when God is about to bring you into a new season where it's a like a pruning season where he cuts something back and so that you can flourish into a next season. There is a certain death about it, but it's actually beautiful. So she said, the enemy is leveraging something that God is about to do that's actually beautiful. And so you have to reject all the fear messages that are coming with it and then lean in and trust that God brings life out of ashes and life out of beauty. And there were no ashes. There really, well, it's probably death to self. There was death to fear, death to insecurity, death to selfishness. So there was a pruning where in that season, he started to show me so many of my self-preserving efforts, right? And those things needed to go. And I just have a sense for you, that is what this is about, but also to have a different view on death. You know, I I get the sense that God wants to do something brand new in you. 
But again, to trust his goodness in that because he has only good for you. But also the narrative around death for believers, precious in the sight of the Lord at the death of his saints. So he, you know, he takes the sting out of death because we go in a moment absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so I really feel like he wants you to have a, you know, a better narrative on overall death for saints because it's just this side of eternity is the hardest. This is as hard as it gets. It gets better from here. And your mom wanting to do an estate planning is just wisdom. But the enemy, what he's trying to do is put all these dots out in front of you. He wants you to connect the dots and draw a wrong conclusion. So again, I do think that there, again, this is a combined test and an attack. I think you you discern where the fear is and you shut it down. You shut it down. You put your shield up. You refuse thoughts of trauma and fear. You just, you know, you refuse it. And then on the other side, you trust, well, in the light of God's goodness, that he's doing something new in you, that there's probably a death to old season, a death to some of your self-preserving ways or your God-limiting beliefs or self-limiting beliefs. And those kinds of uh, transfers from one season to the next are actually beautiful because, you know, Scripture says, I don't remember if it was Fully Alive or which one of my books, but I, you know, I talked about precious in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. And I said, I know that's speaking of the literal death, but I think I'm on solid biblical ground to say it's really precious Anytime we die a flesh death, anytime we die to the stuff that's hindering God's usefulness in our lives and our ability to see Him for who He is. So I'm going to just pray that you have a God encounter that of His love because the enemy is having a heyday with you. I really, really think this is about God transferring you into a new season and the enemy is making you so terrified that you want nothing to do with it, right? to be able to separate those. And you can do that with discernment. I will tell you for me how, because fear was like such a companion for me for so long because of the trauma and how it blindsided me all the time. I did feel like I had to endure everything I feared and that other people enjoyed a protection that I didn't, you know. But when this last relapse happened, all three of my doctors are Christians, but these two who know each other, one's a functional med and one's a traditional doc, said to me and separately, they said, Susie, you have so much inflammation in your body. We're going to help you with that. But your fear is opening a cascade of inflammation in your body. Fear causes an inflammatory response, a cascade of inflammation in your in everybody, not just sick people. And inflammation is where sickness and anxiety and all these other things grow. So they said, we'll help with the physiological inflammation. You got to deal with the fear. So I did a whole, you know, brain study. I know in scripture what it says, but it's easier said than done when you have stuff that's in your face that's making you afraid all the time. But I wanted to be well so bad that I started to study the impact of fear on the body. And it was enough for me to understand that the more I go to that pathway of fear, I am blazing a neural pathway in my brain that's just easier to get on. It goes from being a, a dirt road to a three-lane superhighway. So the more I use it, the more I feed it, the more it becomes a default response. So for me, I had to put a road close sign on that road and just say, I don't care if I feel fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And God is not given me a spirit of fear. So I'm shutting it down. So every time I was tempted when the symptoms would come, I would say, God is good. His promises are true. And he will always make a way for me. And I pictured physiologically forming a new neural pathway. I pictured it in my brain because it takes about 40 days for your brain to delete a neural pathway and reestablish another one. So if you stop using a certain path, your brain takes that as a sign going, we don't need it anymore and deletes that neural pathway. So for me, that's what spoke to me. Even though I know what scripture says, it wasn't enough for me. 
just because fear was so tangible to me. But when I realized I was adding to the problem and I understood it from a physiological kind of scientific perspective, it helped me add faith to my deeds. And that may not make sense to others, but it's what spoke to me. And when I started to say zero tolerance on fear, I can't afford it. I don't want it. And I was rehearsing, rehearsing God's goodness and his promises. When the symptoms would come, I had formed a new default neural pathway. God is good. His promises are true. He will always make a way for me. So I would challenge you to come up with some faith statements about this season to say, God is doing a new thing in me. God is good. His promises are true. He will always make a way for me. He's doing in a new thing in me. I am not a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And whatever God prunes in my life, it's so that I can flourish and I can walk in an abundance. I will never fear death because it means I see Jesus. To live is Christ. To die is gain where you just make some faith declarations and put a flag in the ground. And I'm telling you, you will get a right perspective because death is actually sacred. But I don't get a sense that, I mean, God has never, you know, he told me one day when I was so terrified about some of this stuff, he's like, do you think I'm going to counsel you through the enemy? You think I'm going to use the enemy as your counselor about telling you what's going to happen? Because he's going, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. He's like, you know, I'm not, he's a lousy counselor. I'm not going to reveal my secrets to you through him. I don't trust him in any way and you shouldn't either. And so I thought, you know, whatever he's telling me, the opposite is true. So I started to declare, I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And uh, I challenge you to get feisty make some faith declarations, and you will feel it change in your physiology because His Word is alive in you. Thank you so much, Susie. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. And I am feeling feisty now as you were talking. I was feeling just that boldness come alive. And yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, God has created our bodies and you've done the studies to just like our brains in a specific way. And that's, there's so many verses that talk about like focusing on what's true and noble and right, because he knows the way our brain works. He built our brain that way. And so he knows it requires what, our cooperation. Yeah. And that we need to do that. And so when I was, um, I wrote down some of these instances and then I did do like, okay, what would, what do I believe that God was really calling me to? Or like, what did he, what would God really want me to see in this? And one of the experiences was that my father-in-law had given us this magazine to look at somebody who had passed away his conversation with his wife who had passed away. And that was just another sign to me of like, oh, here's another death thing. But the article was about the beauty of death and the conversation that he had about God and how glorious it would be and being with him. And Satan made me hear one thing and God wanted me to see the beauty in it. And so I kept going for each instance. And every time I wrote it down, even I met a death duel. The first time I went to an event, the person that I was introduced, the first person was a death doula. Right away, fear just struck me. But she's there to help people and families through this beautiful thing. And then a woman came up and talked about, oh, I watched somebody at a conference once who was his death doula. And it was like the two best hours of my life. And it brought me peace and joy and all that. And I missed that conversation in my head because Satan went straight to fear. And so to just like go back there and just look at those and start rewiring that is such a good message for me because I do believe he has more for me and others with whatever their battle is, whatever it is. This attack has been fierce. So if I were you, I would get with a couple of friends and pray in agreement and serve the enemy notice together where you submit to God, resist the devil, and he has to flee. He has to flee. And truly, I think you will feel different. So do James 4-7 together in conjunction with a few friends and pray and then 
start walking around your house and making your faith declarations. I think you actually should get excited. I think God's about to do some really beautiful new things, but he lets us face our fears head on because, you know, it's a toothless lion. We really do have to understand that we are on the winning side and God is fiercely protective of his children. So you have every reason for faith, my friend. Thank you, Susie. Just thank you so much for this conversation and just being a faith warrior and just continuing with what you're doing and all that you've battled. I know you had mentioned with Prevail, like you wanted to stop, but really like you have changed areas of my life by being obedient and so many other women. And so just thank you so, so much for continuing for what you do and writing this book. It met me where I needed it. God knew that. And so thank you for being faithful for writing this book. And I would love to give you the opportunity to tell people where they can find your book and then connect with you because you have great information. Like I like I mentioned before, I just watched your video that you released two days ago. And man, that gave me life before I even came on this podcast interview. So I'd love for you to share where they can connect. Thank you. Well, if you go to closerthanyournextbreath.com, you find all the different buying options of where you want to buy it. I will say that we've got an exclusive agreement with Christian Book where I recorded a video for every chapter that only comes if you purchase with christianbook.com. And uh, that's really fun. There were like eight to 15 minute long you know, videos that just where I'm sitting right here and just looking at the chapter and then just kind of being inspired on whatever God gives me. So that's a pretty sweet deal. But wherever you want to get it, where books are sold, susielarson.com is my website. I'm on social media. You could search for me there. But then my radio show, it's live on myfaithradio.com and in our radio network. But then it goes to podcasts. If you go wherever podcasts are played and search for me, you can find the show there. But it's all deeper life, health, healing, wholeness, walking intimately with God, shaking it up in the world, that kind of a thing. So, Yeah, and it's so good. I um, You accompany me on many walks in the morning, hey, Susie. Well, and, um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. I love that. And then one more question for you, and I'm so excited to ask this of you. I want to know what brought you joy today. Well, this conversation, being with you, yes. I didn't sleep so well last night. I'm not feeling the best today, and I'm heading to the airport for a pretty big interview. And uh, when I don't sleep, my body feels it. I'm trying hard not to let that get, discourage me, but some days it does. So this was a sweet thing. Thank you. Yeah, same mm-hmm. here. This will be my highlight for the week, Susie. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. It's been such an honor to have you on, and thank you for speaking life into me and to others. Absolutely. You keep on keeping on, sister. Thank you. God's goodness is chasing you. He loves you even when you may not feel it. He has so much for you in this life and the next. Don't let the enemy take hold of what is yours. You have the authority. So submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you struggle to believe, just take a breath and God will meet you there. I'm so grateful you spent time today listening to this episode. If you were encouraged by what you heard, share the love with other women you know and send them the link to this episode. Just think how many more women could be blessed with faith-inspired encouragement. Love and prayers, Erica. Congrats on saying yes to a life filled with joy and Jesus. If you want more, head to faithinspiredpodcast.com for show notes and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to stay faith-inspired. And remember, faith is not just a belief, it's a lifestyle.